Let me say it again. If you are in Christ, that is, if you are born again by the Spirit of God and connected to Christ, you are going to be different. It is an inevitability. There is no getting around it because when God gets a hold of your life and the Spirit of God starts operating in your life, things simply start to change whether you realize it or not. And one of the key things God goes about doing is changing the inclination of our will, our values, our desires, even our wants. He starts shaping them in directions that we might not have even expected. And as a result of this, it is inevitable that we start to simply live differently. Christians are called to live different because Christians are Different, Because when the Spirit of God is in you, it sets you apart in a way that is not normal in this world today. And that's what we've been talking about these last several weeks. And what we've been doing is using that ancient creed called the Ten Commandments as a guide or window, if you will, maybe better, a template or table of contents to what the different kind of life looks like. And today, we come to big number eight. And here's how it phrases. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. All right? Can you say that with me? Do you think you have it? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, you say it to each other. You got it? Burn in the brain? Fantastic. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does that mean? Don't say things that are untrue about your neighbor. Right? We don't talk this way anymore. I bear witness. I bear false witness. It's very King James-ish, isn't it? But, but, but what's it kind of saying? Tell the truth. Be honest. Don't lie. Don't spin it. Don't twist it. Don't distort it. Don't practice favoritism. Don't say it when it's to your benefit, but not when it's not. Don't bear false witness about other people, against other people. Just don't do what God says. And this is one other way that the, Christians, the Christian life is called to be different. Because, you know, see, I'm convinced we live in a world today where people will do what they want with the truth to make it work to their benefit. I don't need to convince this, uh, be convincing, I think, in this case at all. We see it everywhere from the most global ways that it is put out, from, from the way it's put out in media, from the way it's put out in politics, for the way it's put out in marketing, for the way it's put out in organizations, to the way that we interconnect in one-to-one relationships. God calls Christians to be different. He says, Don't use the truth as a commodity to get ahead. Don't say what you want or claim what you want because you know it will give you an advantage. No, your job is different. Your job is to be honest about reality in such a way that lifts people up instead. Are you with me? Don't bear false witness against your labor because Jesus loves the truth. That seems like a no-brainer. But I think we forget. 
Jesus is all about the truth. And how many times have you known someone who claims to be a Christian who's been afraid to tell the truth despite the Lord that they claim? How many times have you seen a church or a ministry or an organization handle the truth deftly to avoid issues that they don't want to deal with and spin public opinion to their favor? How many times have Christians been guilty of downplaying their own weaknesses, covering up their own mistakes, being less than honest about their own failures, doubts, and struggles? Here at Fellowship of Faith, we have a mantra that we think the church is a place that's meant to be real, where God desires people to be real, where we don't come in masking the truth, pretending that we have it all together, trying to put on a certain picture to other people around us as though doubts and struggles and sins don't live in our life. No, God wants us to be real, to be honest, to be truthful because Jesus is all about the truth. Jesus will even say this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is central to who he is. Truth, honesty about reality matters. Are you with me? And for Jesus, this extends all the way back into the Ten Commandments with phrases like we shared today, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. whole thing has kind of a legal feel to it, doesn't it? And maybe that's not a bad place to start because in the ancient world, the court system wasn't much like it was today. You didn't come and give witness on the stand, you know, swearing and, and things like that. No, no, no. It, it, the, the way that the legal system worked in the ancient Near East is that there was a judge and jury combined, and they were tasked with rooting out the truth. You know, in this day and age of CSI, we kind of forget the importance of witness testimony. But really up until the time of Sherlock Holmes, the way that people got to the truth is police would just beat a confession out of you. Still happens that way around most of the world. And so what someone said about you or what you said about someone matter mattered highly to the future and benefit, not only of the person, but society around. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't say things that are true about them that are not. Don't say things that are false about them when they're not true either. You with me, right? It mattered. The truth matters because the truth affects other people. Listen to this one passage from Deuteronomy that I'd like to read to you today. All right, hang on. In trying to figure this out, Moses says, one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious or witness that bears false witness takes the stand to accuse a man of a crime, the two men involved in the 
in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation. And if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against his brother, then do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge that evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Oh, man, imagine if every time we were to say something about someone else, that kind of criteria were to be held against us. That every time we risk damaging someone's reputation, it would be our reputation that would be damaged in equal volume. That every time we spoke of someone in a way that brought them harm, that harm would be poured out back upon us. If every time we spoke in such a way that undermined justice, we would face that same injustice as a result. Man, if that happened in real time, man, wouldn't we like watch what we'd say a little bit more? I'll tell you what, I wouldn't say anything. I would just, I would just become a mute. I'd just, right there, right? Because it is so easy to handle the truth lightly, especially when it comes to other people and especially when it influences our favor. I was reading a commentary on Exodus that I think had something just amazing to say in this regard. I'd like to read a passage from it to you today. It's written by Dennis Prager, actually. Isn't that crazy? In its own right, but dang, is this good? Let me read to you what he writes. Virtually all the great societal evils, whether African slavery, communism, Nazism, or anti-Semitism, have been based on lies. There were probably some slave traders, Nazis, communists, and anti-Semites who were compassionate to at least some people, but all of them told and most of them believed some great lie that made or allowed them to participate in great evil. African slavery was made possible in large measure by the lie that blacks were inherently inferior to whites. Communist totalitarianism was entirely based on lies. That's why the Soviet Union's Communist Party newspaper was named Pravda, the Russian word for truth, because the party, not objective reality, was the source of truth. The Holocaust would have been impossible without tens of millions of people believing the lies that Jews were subhuman. But the Nazis' lies about Jews are just one example of the lies anti-Semitism has always been based on. Indeed, Jews have been the most consistent objects of lies in history. These lies have been so grotesque that they led to the mass murders of Jews. In medieval Europe, even later, Jews were accused of killing Christian children in order to use their blood to bake their Passover matzahs. Whole Jewish communities were annihilated or expelled because of lies. Jews in medieval Europe were accused of causing the great plague known as the Black Death, even though Jews also died in the plague. And that's at a global level, at a historic level, at an international level. But how much more when it gets closer to home? What we say about that group at school, 
What we say about that person we work with. What we say about that relative who just gets under our skin. How do you speak about them? Is it filled with truth? Is it rooted in reality? Is it objective? Whether you like the person or not, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It would seem to me that telling the truth is really, really important to God. Are you with me? But Jesus is also about love. And have you ever met those people who delight just a little too much in being, quote, honest? And you start to suspect that what they talk about under the guise of just being honest really has an agenda of its own as well. Luther has an explanation. Martin Luther, look at how he talks about the Eighth Commandment. He says this, We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation. But defend him. Speak well of him. And this last one is fascinating to me. Explain everything in the kindest way. Not a dishonest way. Not a lying way, but everything in the kindest way. What's fascinating to me about his explanation of this is for Luther, it's not just about telling the truth. It's also why you're telling it. Because for Jesus, all the commands in this world can be boiled down to this loving God and loving your neighbor. And truth is always in service of loving your neighbor. Whether you like your neighbor, whether you can't stand your neighbor, whether your neighbor gets under your skin, whether you move away so they no longer have to be your neighbor. Are you with me? Don't do anything to betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. I'm convinced that if we as Christians were committed to just this principle alone, we would stand out as so radically different than the culture around us that the world couldn't help but notice and be humbled and be amazed. These last few weeks, I've been sharing with you Excerpts from another catechism as well. It's called the Westminster Larger. It's bigger than the smaller one. And it gets into the weeds a little bit more. Now I kind of wearied of putting it on the screen. We're going to use this because Luther, short and simple. But as that anchors us today, let me read a deeper description it gives about ways that we can break this commandment and ways that we're called to uphold it. It says this, we should be about promoting the truth, standing for the truth, 
doing so freely. From the heart, sincerely, clearly, and fully. Charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, defending the innocent. Discouraging talebearers. Do you know what a talebearer is? Someone who's always got a story about someone else? Flatterers and slanderers, keeping lawful promises, studying and practicing whatever things are true, honest, and lovely. There's more. It forbids this, prejudicing the truth of some good name, wittingly appearing to plea for an evil cause, overbearing the truth, passing unjust sentence, calling evil good, backbiting, detracting, whispering, scoffing, being rash or harsh, aggravating smaller faults, or doing about what 50% of everyone does in churches like this today. It's so much deeper than lying. It's about how you treat your neighbor. Because when it says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, I want you to underline that word, against. Do not use the truth as a weapon to hurt another person or destroy their name. Because Jesus is about truth. But Jesus is also about love. And so the whole thing, I think, can be summed up in in this. Be honest, but be honest compassionately. Or as Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 4, speak the truth in love. Growing up, my dad always liked to do these mental exercises with me, ethical challenges, if you will. And one that he would bring up was this. I'll share it with you today. God calls us to be honest. Would you agree? God calls us to, be, to tell the truth. Would you agree? So imagine that you're living in Nazi-occupied Germany during World War II. And the Nazis come knocking on your door and ask you if you're harboring Jews. Does morality demand that you tell the truth? What do you think? What do you think? The answer that most Christian theologians and thinkers will come down, one that I certainly agree with, is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because the truth is to be used to love another person. How about this? Your husband or your wife comes to you and they ask, Honey, am I getting fat? Now, you wrestle that one out for yourself. (laughs) Does honesty demand that you tell the truth? Does love lead you another way? You know, I found, actually, that there is a near-universal way of answering that question that works in, in virtually every situation. I'll share it with you today. If your husband or wife ever comes to you and says, honey, am I getting fat? You just simply say this. Oh, honey, bigger than a whale. Bigger than a whale. Try it. See what happens. (laughs) And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Like, how can he say that, right? 
how can you be so mean to whales? Well, I'm really sorry. I don't want in any way to assume you to assume that I am insensitive towards the plight of whales. And so, like, 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 save the whales, all right? But you get what I mean? You'll find examples in the Bible. I think of the Hebrew midwives under the oppression of Egypt who are commanded to kill the firstborn children and give a report back to Pharaoh, but lie on their behalf to save the children, and God commends them and blesses them for it. I think of Rahab, the one who is in the city of Jericho when the Canaanite conquest is coming, and she lies to protect the Israel spies, and she is literally mentioned in the genealogies of Jesus and praised and saved for her actions. I think of Jonathan lying to his dad, King Saul, on behalf of his good friend David. And yet, and yet, I think of the apostles not willing to back off one bit of the truth that they believed, no matter what the cost to themselves. Despite persecution, imprisonment, and even death. Maybe the question we should be asking today is how am I handling the truth? Am I using it to the favor of others or am I using it to the favor of me? And the answer to that question may guide you into the path of God or reveal to you whether you're on it. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Speak the truth in love. Make no mistake, if you do it, it will cost you. If you choose to speak the truth in love and master the craft of valuing both, it will cost you. Jesus promises it. Let me read this from Matthew chapter 10 today. Jesus says this, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, you know that word? Have you ever heard that word? You know what it's, it basically means devil. If they call you, if they call the master of the house devil, how much more the members of his household, Jesus had all kinds of false witness born against him. Jesus was accused of things he didn't do. His motives were called into question. He was scandalized and slandered. He was gossiped about. The political machine spun stories about him. He faced trial. He faced execution. He faced ridicule. He faced the daily stress every day of knowing what people were saying about him despite it was false. He knew full well what it meant to be on the receiving end of you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And Jesus promises you this, if you follow me, it will be the exact same for you. Because a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. And a lot of people have very little love in their heart. A lot of people 
are more interested in what their agenda is and what their favor is and what works to their benefit than for their neighbor that their cause to love as themselves. You will be called bigot, judgmental, and hypocrite. You will be called someone who is deluded, unintelligent, or uneducated. You will be laughed at and scoffed at as someone who is simple or out of touch with reality. You will be pigeonholed because of the actions of a few crazy, evil Christians, and their actions will be projected onto you. You will be sidelined, dismissed, and called everything including devil, spawn of hell, and evil itself. Just accept it. It's reality. There's no getting around it for someone who speaks truth and is motivated by love. Those on the outside of the Christian faith will attack you. Those within the Christian faith will attack you. Jesus says, brother will betray brother. Sister will betray sister. Family, friends, co-workers, maybe even people who attend the same church as you. Knowing that going in has helped me. That we live in a world that isn't so much interested in truth as it is in its own agenda and getting ahead and being braced for the inevitable result that Jesus says is coming to me. But if you find yourself in that place, if you find yourself standing against it, embroiled in it, or fearing what's to come, Jesus has something else to say to you. I love these words. From the end of something called the Beatitudes, Jesus tells his disciples this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Not because of lies. Not because of falsehood. Not because of untruth. No, they're not blessed at all. But if you are blessed for doing, if you are persecuted for doing the right thing, for being truthful and loving, the kingdom of heaven is yours. He goes on. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Make no mistake, bearing refusing to bear false witness against your neighbor will make you different. Insisting on speaking the truth in love will make you different. Centering yourself in lifting up the names of others, even those you don't like and don't agree with, and putting the construction on things and not casting dispersion and assuming the worst 
it will make you different. Weird, hated, but good. And that's the invitation of Jesus to a different way of life. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I'd like to invite you to rise with me so we can pray, all right? Search your own heart this morning, would you? You can be honest with God. You can come to him and not fear reprisal. He knows what you've said about people, what you think about people, and what you assume about people. He knows the people whose reputations you've hurt, people that you've outright lied about or shaded things in a certain direction, tearing down rather than lifting up. I encourage you to just be honest about that today. Confess it to God. You know that the God of truth is gracious and loves you and he'll meet you right there in that place. His forgiveness is fully yours. Lord, hear our prayer. Hear the confessions, the regrets, the missteps. of what we have said and how we have talked about other people. Forgive us, God, when we're so eager to be accepted. That we lie. That we tell people what they want to hear. That we portray ourselves in an untrue way to fit in. Forgive us for that, God. Truth is so much more important than that. Living in reality is better by far. Forgive us. Forgive us, God, for unloving hearts. for despising people in such a way that we seek to hurt their reputation or handle it frivolously. That we speak for our own benefit and not for theirs. When we use truth as a weapon, when we use it to cast down rather than lift up, forgive us, God. Love is so much more important than that. You've called us to it. Forgive us, God, right now for the people that we've hurt, the people that we know that we've hurt, who have been laughed at because of us, marginalized because of us, torn down because of us who have suffered loss because of us. Forgive us for those people. Help us, God, and stir us to make it right. 
move us to apologies, to blessings instead of curses, to a stance where we're quick to defend rather than condemn, to speak truth and correction to the dispersion of others. Forgive us for the people that we've hurt that we don't know because we've handled the truth so carelessly in people's names and reputations so flippantly. Forgive us, God, we pray. We don't even know how to go about it, but change our hearts to guard what we say. But we insinuate. But we post. Forgive us, God, for all those ways, whether we know the people or not that we would be different as you've called us to be different people of truth and love who value our neighbors and our enemies so much and love them as you have loved them that we seek to lift them up and protect their name not destroy it that we seek to be honest rather than people of lies path can be difficult. God, we know the line and balance between each will challenge us in every difficult moment, but Spirit, speak to us, guide us. Bless it when we choose right and forgive us when we choose wrong and may we be quick to repent in the process. So hear our prayers, God, on this, on this front and all others as we pray together today. Most merciful God, I confess that I am sinful and unclean in my very core. I've sinned against you in things I've thought, things I've said, and things I've done. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I know I deserve your punishment, but I know you sent your son Jesus to die for me. Through him, have mercy on me. Forgive me, renew me, and lead me so that I delight in your will and walk in your ways for your glory and your name. Amen. You know, Jesus died for the very people who lied about him to get him on a cross. He died for those who slandered him to his face, who spit at him and struck him who sought to destroy his name. And God will forgive you too. Take hold of his grace. Embrace his forgiveness. Swim in his mercy. And live his new way. For the glory of his name.